It's Arab Spring. Political upheavals throughout the Middle East spill out into the streets. And not only are you suddenly living in the midst of it all, it just so happens that your grandmother from Nebraska is visiting. And while everything might feel light years from life in the American Midwest, what strikes you most in the end is how similar we all are. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. Three plus seven is ten, as is eight plus two, as is five plus five. And how you get to the answer sometimes doesn't matter. You know, I, I think that the way that things change you, that travel changes you, is you're less afraid of the unknown. You are more hyper skeptical of things. You question it. You know, you question what you see. People say, well, you know, the sky is green. And if where you live, the sky is green, that's all you've ever seen, then you believe the sky to be green. But if when you travel and you see that the sky is blue or the sky is white or the sky is gray, you're like, wait a minute. This week, getting one's shop on in the Egyptian markets, a first glimmer of a freer future, and learning to love the gray areas. On this episode, a journey from the cornfields of Nebraska to Tahrir Square in Cairo, Egypt, and embracing our differences. We operate under a presidential mandate which says that we report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. That's what we call cultural exchange. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And that it was possible to create... Oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. My name is Kristen Ertham. I am originally from Ainsworth, Nebraska. I now live in the D.C. area. I am a Fulbright 2010 ETA from Egypt. I'm one of the only 10, to my knowledge, that you will ever meet, so we are a rare breed. The world changed on 9-11. I was 13. And what I remember the most, besides what you see on TV and the horrific stories that we tell, is that there were no airplanes flying over. We're a flyover state. We had no airplanes flying over for three days, and the world literally changed. And I, that, that's 9-11 is now a historical event for most people but in school, but for us, that was a big thing. And so you saw this wave of ugliness that followed afterwards about people who were different than we were, that looked different, that might pray different, that had different backgrounds. And it really got me interested in, let's see what the world is like. Let's see what this is. Um, I have a traditional American background. You know, my family comes from all over. We came in times of, of, of great strife, and part of my family happens to be Syrian. And so knowing that we were Arab, I wanted to know what that was. Lo and behold, I got my Fulbright, and it was one of the most amazing things that I think ever happened to me. Starting, I mean, starting out, you, you take a kid from the Midwest 
who has really only ever been to one country, and that was Jordan. You throw them into Cairo, which is a city, they say it's 20 million. It's more like 33 million people. It's loud. It's busy. There's people everywhere. Sanitation isn't what you think it's going to be. So there's a pile of rotting food scraps in the street. There's dogs, there's cats, there's women, there's children, there's cars. Egyptians talk with their horns. So you have, hey, good to see you, neighbor. Beep, beep. You have, get out of my way. Beep, beep. You have, I'm going to run you over. Honk, honk, honk. It's just different from the Midwest. big change and just that culture shock of I'm not going to be able to make it here. And there's times that you're, you're sitting there eating whatever quintessential Egyptian food it is, if it's mashi, which is, you know, cabbage or zucchini stuffed with rice, or it's koshery or it's fool, which is beans. And you know, I'm not going to be able to do this. Then you get thrown into your site. And for us, my site was in Ismailia. It's the city that controls the Suez. And so you feel the ships that have the sound that's so low that it just literally vibrates your insides going through the canal. And we were teaching at uh, Gamat Canal Suez. And they threw us into a classroom of 300 students and said, teach them something. Teach them whatever you want. There is no curriculum. There is no... Um, real thing that we want them to learn. We want them to learn English. And so what I did was I had my students write, what is your greatest fear? What do you want to be when you grow up? Are you a cat or a dog person? Just to see what they needed. I, I think the one thing being 22, 23 on a Fulbright that I learned is who you are when nobody's watching and how you respond to things that are different. I know people that completely shut down and curl up in themselves. And these aren't the people you're going to meet on Fulbright, but the people that blossom and say, this is who I am. And this is how I represent myself is, is key because you don't travel and come back the same. You come back different and the ways that you're different, you won't know until they start to manifest. And that's the cool part of it. In January of 2011, in Tunisia, which is, you know, basically a neighbor of Egypt, minus a few countries, there was a guy that set himself on fire to protest the price of bread. And for very complex reasons that academics know, that started what is known as Arab Spring. And we were there for Arab Spring and we saw, you know, I, I, I remember having this conversation with Megan, my site mate, about when Ben Ali fell in Tunisia, the ability of Egypt to go through that revolution. We said, it's never going to happen here. The moment you say something's never going to happen, guess what's going to happen? The truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. And it did happen. January 26th, my grandmother was visiting from the U.S. My grandmother, love her, is more adventurous than I am and had this whole list of countries that ended with her coming back to Egypt. So I met her in Cairo. (music) 
we were in Hanahalili, which is the big market down by Al-Azhar Mosque. It's, it's got that, which you would think to be the quintessential old world market feel. There's kit shops with stuff that's obviously meant for tourists on these narrow winding streets. There's also an Egyptian side. So I told grandma, I said, I'll bust you out of your tour because organized tours can be really boring. And I'll take you to Hana Halili and we'll do the shopping and we'll negotiate like Egyptians do. So we show up at Hana Halili and it's 8.30 in the morning. The market should be full. It is not. And I'm like, hey, more shopping for us. Let's do this. So we, we, we get our shop on. We buy a whole bunch of stuff for not a whole lot of money. And then I'm like, let's go do some other things. And so we tour around the lesser known parts of Cairo and enjoy the lesser known parts of Cairo. And I make this joke that's like, let's go to Tahrir Square, like what is ground central of the Egyptian revolution, uh, and get some ice cream. And she goes, no, no, I don't want ice cream. So we go back to her hotel and we turn on the TV and there's these pictures at Tahrir Square. I don't think anybody understood the magnitude of what we were going to be dealing with. And so my grandmother left the next day. I was flying to Abu Dhabi, Sydney via Abu Dhabi. And I, I thought that my taxi cab driver was taking me on a route that was really circuitous. We went up all the way around the city. Instead of going through the center of the city, I get to Abu Dhabi, turn the news on again. It's getting worse. And I remember thinking to myself, Egypt, you better sell down because I'm coming back in 10 days and I expect you to be here when I get back. And I think it's three days, four days into it that I'm in my stint in Sydney and I get this call at 3 a.m. And it's the director of the Institute. He goes, well, things have gotten bad enough here in Egypt that for the safety of the program, we're evacuating everybody. Whatever you do, don't come back until we say so. Once Egypt settled down, they said, well, come on back. So I came back in April and they said, we're putting you back where you were and continue what you were doing. But what was different about coming back for me was you had a country that for the first time, the best way to describe it was tasting democracy and tasting freedom. And so I taught the classes that I was supposed to teach, which was an English writing class, like how to write a five paragraph essay vocabulary speaking, but I also was in charge of language lab. So was able to have these conversations about what is democracy? What is citizen responsibility? And what are fundamental freedoms, fundamental rights? And, and really tried to get the students to focus on, this is a pivotal moment in your history. What is it that, how do you want to shape your country? More importantly, how are you going to be the first generation to add to that? What is your legacy? And really focus on like their hopes and dreams and fears of what was coming. And it was really exciting for me to see these things and to understand kind of like, this is must, what it must be the first time you taste it. Everything is moving too fast. Everything is moving too fast. You better save your money cause everything is moving too fast. Slow down. 
difficult. You know, there's difficult parts of it. I was in Egypt when Osama bin Laden was killed. And the first thought was that very American, hey, we got the guy that hurt us. The second thought I had was, and I'm living in the Middle East. (laughs) What do I do? Do I go to work today? You know, you're hyper aware of things around you because you are different and that difference is sometimes celebrated and sometimes not appreciated. And and so learning to navigate that and find commonalities with people is something that, that the exchange programs teach. I went to a, an orphanage because one of my friends randomly knocked on my bo- door at 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday. So I show up to this this orphanage where my English still, my English is fine, but my Arabic is not great. And we're dropping off the stuff. We're giving toys to the kids. I, I, I learned how to say mumkinaftua, which basically means maybe I can open it for you. But these kids were running around with these oranges that we had bought them because they don't have access to fresh fruit and didn't know what to do with them. And so you've got these four-year-olds running around. They think I'm taking their orange from them at this point because then I'm going to like keep it. And I'm like, no, no. So I, I walked to my friends. I'm like, how do I say, can I peel that for you? And they said, mumpkin off to us. I'm like, okay, mumpkin off to us and point to the orange. And so the kids give it to me and then they realize I'm going to peel their orange. I probably peeled 40 oranges that day. <laughs> they were just all running up to me and be like, peel my orange for me. We brought joy to those children's lives, even if for only that afternoon. And I smelled like oranges for three days because it just was, I I washed so much. It just wasn't coming off. Not a bad smell. I've had worse. You know, we all want the same thing and that's to be happy, to feel at peace, to feel like we're not constantly searching for the next meal or dollar or whatever it is and just just to have meaning in this life and you realize that when you're abroad is that we do things differently but we all want the same thing at the end of the day and that's to feel like that we've contributed that we belong and that we have a place in this world And what that means changes from culture, but it's true. That's what we all want. Um, yeah, and it's fun. There's fun parts of it. There's there's definitely growth parts, you know, being from the Midwest where I went to church every day and then meeting people that happened to go to mosques and, and comparing the cultures and the, the religions and the way that culture layers onto religion is really interesting. I had a chance to ask questions about Islam that I really hadn't felt comfortable asking anybody else. They also did the same thing about Christianity to me. It makes you know your own faith a little bit better because, you know, they'll ask you, why do you do it this way? And, and honestly, the answer is sometimes it's because. Um, well, what do you mean because? Well, because that's the way I learned it. There's a different way to do things. And that was cool because you confront your assumptions. That's another way it changes you. You confront your assumptions about the world and realize that 
everything is not black and white. It's really shades of gray. Um, and that's awesome. Christopher Wurst, director of The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, or ECA. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA, and our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode, Kristen Ertham shared her unique experiences as part of ECA's Fulbright English Teaching Assistant Program, which sends Americans abroad to assist classroom English teaching, and, as in Kristen's case, is usually just as educational for the teachers as for the students. For more about ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233 wherever you find your podcasts, and we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at ECA collaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Special thanks this week to Kristen Ertham for sharing her insights. I did the interview with her and I edited this episode. Featured music during this segment, Them Dirty Blues by Cannonball Adderley. Everything's Moving Too Fast by Peggy Lee with Dave Barber and his orchestra. And Night Owl by Broke for Free. At the top of the show, you heard Sebastian by How the Night Came. And to play us out, two pianos by Tagirlios. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>